Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Fortunately, another HR friend and I talked so long there was enough material for a second podcast. My friend Michelle Lopez is an HR consultant and an employment attorney. It's my hope that I'll be able to induce more HR professionals to be interviewed for my podcast. I know I'll try because HR professionals have so much useful information and they can be a great a resource for my listeners. I'll do my best to make that happen. Now, here is part two of my interview with Michelle Lopez. I saw a PBS uh, documentary, I guess, speaking of McDonald's. It wasn't a McDonald's, I don't think, but there was a robot flipping burgers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, has it come to this? Now, I don't know how many people saw that, but if I was someone working at McDonald's, I would be concerned. I would think to myself, I've got to step up my game because this robot might take over my job. Ah, okay. And I think that that, I'm actually going to use an example in my, in, in kind of my industry and where I'm at, where this is truly played out. So artificial intelligence, right? So robots are a form of artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence plays a huge role. It's actually a trend in HR, whether it is technology in general. So uh, uh, using analytics and data to help make uh, business uh, driven, especially HR driven decisions, like a a real role right now in business, where that's going to go in 2021 and beyond is anyone's best guess, but it is a, it's a huge trend. But artificial intelligence is being used in HR, specifically in the recruitment area, right? Talent sourcing. Yeah. And so, um, and to great success. And that's yeah. because, right, sometimes um, the volume of whether it's resumes, whether it's um, sorting through resumes, leaving that up to humans, you're not going to get the return on your investment because it's just not fast enough. It's not just um, human, human eyes are not catching things that where artificial intelligence can be. And so recruiters would say, but wait a second, that's going to be my job. Like I'm a recruiter. What do I do? Your job shifts and changes where you now recruiters are going to be much more strategic. 
Does that mean that those recruiters who before were the ones who were combing through resumes, were out, out there on, you know, uh, uh, combing through and networking and trying to source and find individuals, is their job going to change? Absolutely. It's not going to go away. It's going to shift. And so then you need then, if you're in that recruiting space, understand the trends of your business because artificial intelligence is not going to go away. Robots for the, the robot that was flipping the burger at McDonald's, is it going to be totally replace everyone flipping burgers? Not entirely, but it's certainly going to be much more automated. You're going to have machines doing much more than people because it's cost effective. And that's what business, that's what businesses are in the business of doing, right? They're in the right. business of, and so the, the, then what we can be doing in this time right now, especially those of us that may be in places where you've been downsized, um, your hours have been reduced. Use this downtime, in addition to looking for work, posting for work, doing research in the industry that you're in to see what those trends are going to be. And it's really simple. In Google, if you are in tech, tech trends, 2021, HR trends, 2021, right? Um, that It'll give you a volume of information for you to start doing your research in um, and seeing what interests you. From there, you go to, you, you, you'll see whether there are TED Talks on it. You'll see, all this is free. It costs, yeah. right? I was going to say, it doesn't have to cost much yeah. or anything. Right. right. It doesn't. And you'll be amazed. And something may pique your interest. And if it doesn't, then I say keep looking. Because the, the way of the, those traditional jobs where, and you may be, you may either be in one um, or you may be fortunate to find one right now if you're looking and that's great. But I say don't rest on your laurels because if anything that this pandemic has taught, if, any, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that in a blink of an eye, what we know in terms of our workplaces can change, in terms of our industries can change in terms of our direction of our economy can change. And we need to be in a place where we are adaptable um, because we're not going to know when it's going to change. So we can't forecast that. But when it does, how well are we um, taking care of ourselves and our futures so that we can adapt, change and flex with it? You know, interestingly enough, human resources departments now use analytics to predict and identify future incomes around such things like employee retention and turnover. But to your point, Michelle, you know, things are so uncertain and, and having such predictors, it's a nice to have, but you can't really rely on them because anything can change on a dime. Yeah. This, yeah, I, and this is a really challenging time for HR right now because um, it it's the uncertainty. There is uncertainty. You know, the the data is only as good as the information going in, right? So the data coming out is only as good as the information going in. And we're at a place right now when we think about our workplaces is this level of uncertainty in terms of either there something as simple as. Our employees that we have, are they coming back to a physical workspace? When is that? How does that look? And if they do, what happens then when the, if the state, if the, the COVID numbers surge again and we'll go down to um, a lockdown again, what does that look like? So just the, the, there's uncertainty of literally where are our employees going to be sitting to do the work, right? right. Um, that, and do they have to come back 
if they don't want to. Well, and that's, and and of course that, that, then, then we get into kind of the more traditional HR questions, but how to manage it becomes differently. You're absolutely right. So what happens, that's like after 9-11, right? For those of us who um, live in New York in particular, that North New Jersey, you had many employees who were like, I'm not, I I don't feel safe. I don't want to come back to work. And that, that feeling of safety wasn't just in their head, obviously, right? It was real because we had 9-11, then we had the anthrax scare. I mean, the city, it was, and you think about workplaces and the mail rooms and how we, how mail got delivered, had to shift. Just so many employees had to have access cards now. You had scanners being built and being um, installed outside of entryways to workplaces. That, so it was a massive shift from just physically how our offices looked after 9-11. And then think about, so from an HR standpoint, from a culture standpoint. So for those employers, so if you've worked at a bank, right, coming in with an access card, going through a scanner, all of that stuff, probably not a huge difference in terms of how it impacts the culture. But I worked in media and entertainment. This, this idea that you could be scanned and there were wands on you and you had to, uh, it just shifted this, this whole kind of um, free spirited um, work environment that I worked in that now it was, it rules and it became structure and fear dominated so much. And so as HR, whether you were a generalist, a specialist, whether you were in HR administration, HR strategy, it, you, we're all playing a role in trying to help help our leaders think about what the how that impacted the culture. What was the culture going to look like? And so now HR is being tasked with that same those same questions. The issue, though, is there's so much uncertainty in that. What does that look like? And then how do you manage those employees who are having those those very real issues of I don't feel safe coming into work. I'm having issues in terms of stress, being um, having to work 10 hours a day, sitting at my desk at home. Um, so you have wellness issues. How do you check in with an employee, right? Before, if you thought an employee might need a check-in to see how they're doing from an emotional, mental standpoint, you do a mental health check. You stop by their office or you have them come and see you. You do this check. Now it's you have to connect with them virtually. How does that work? So these are all real challenges that HR is facing. And a lot of it is learn as you go. No, it's true. And one of the one of the most compelling changes from my perspective is the fact that after 9-11, background checks were definitely used. Yeah. You know, before 9-11, people would submit resumes and they might fudge a little about what they did or didn't do and how they did it and how long they did it. But after 9-11, background checks became almost required across the board for each and every employer. They wanted to know who they were hiring and they spent the money to do so. And especially if you were in a sensitive area where you had access to um, sensitive proprietary information or social security numbers, and every employer had addresses and telephone numbers. So there were people being hired after passing a background check and employees who were already on board who didn't have to 
undergo a background check might have had to if they went into a new position with a heightened level of sensitivity to the information about the information they would have access to. And I know situations where people had not been completely truthful on earlier applications and in subsequent background checks, that became a problem. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting that we're having this conversation. Um, I mean, I, I, I was the one that brought up 9-11, but it's interesting how both you and I are giving, uh, talking about a great deal of detail and the issues that surfaced as a result of 9-11. This is where, going back to the very beginning of our conversation in terms of customs and, and regions, this is one area where I would say um, really impacted the cultures and the employees um, and the industries in that north in our northeast region, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut in particular, 9-11 impacted us significantly. I will say that during that time period, even though my employer was based in New York, I did a lot of work on the West Coast, you could see a difference in terms of the level of Fear, uncertainty, how 9-11 impacted work cultures, workspaces um, in the Northeast than it did on the West Coast. Certainly aware of it. And there was a empathy that those colleagues felt for those of us on the East Coast and the, the, the Northeast region. But it didn't have that same level of impact on their day to day. Maybe not in L.A., but I would have to believe that in the financial area, areas like San Francisco, they would have a heightened awareness because of the nature of the information that they had. It, they were aware. And maybe it's because we worked in the epicenter. Right. We were right. I mean, that, that it, you know, I, it, it was um, we felt it. Um, and I was right in um the 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 crossroads of the world, right? Um, in in Manhattan on that day, and that day, and and for years afterwards, that's where I I worked. It was my home base, and it just it changed everything so drastically overnight that I, you could feel it. it was palatable, literally palatable, because you knew people, right? People, you knew people who were directly impacted. How many lives were lost on that day um, in those towers that fell that were just literally right, you know, 40 blocks down, 50 blocks down from where I worked. When I went to the West Coast, so whether it was California, whether it was LA, even San Francisco, even Seattle, right? They, there was an empathy. There was certainly a fear. There were certain changes that happened because, of course, airline travel, right? That changed drastically. So that, but it was this notion of because it happened someplace else. We empathize and that was drastic, but it was almost like their work cultures became their safe havens, if that makes sense, right? Where they felt like they, because there wasn't much significant change on their day to day. Whereas in this pandemic, um, what is being felt across the board, it affects everybody, right? This is affecting everybody. Everybody. Yes. Um, and that to me is what, um, so 9-11, obviously a huge major um, uh, uh, issue for, obviously, um, uh, tragedy um, for this world, but I think more directly felt by those of us on the East Coast. Whereas in this pandemic, there is 
we're, we're all feeling it. We're all in it. I think we're all stressed. I think there is mental exhaustion, a mental health, all of those that's playing out across the world. So whether I have colleagues that are in London, right? So they're just, they're places where um, in 9-11, there was an empathy, but not this, I'm, I'm in it with you because I'm feeling it. In right. this pandemic, everybody's in it together. And I think that also lends this notion of this, this just uncertainty across, across, across all industries, across all levels within organizations, that, that uncertainty, I think HR is feeling that. Well, if I were a person who wanted to become an HR professional now and after COVID is over, has been has been vanquished but from my mouth to God's ears, how would you suggest they start? Well, I actually, and, and because my background and my, or I should say my career path uh, into HR was not direct. That was not my training. It's not where I went to school. I'm employment lawyer. Yes, we support HR, but that's just, um, and yes, there are many employment lawyers who go into HR, but I, mine was much later. I practiced law for quite some time before I, I um, took the HR track that I actually am um, someone who maybe differs from um, some of my HR colleagues now in that I would encourage people who are on the business side to think about HR as a possible career path. I think that the trends that we're seeing in terms of HR, I think the business realities, you know, one of the trends that we saw in the past five years um, has been this shift for HR um, moving into HR strategy and becoming a business partner, having a seat at that table. I think that it is. Are you finding that business people are accepting HR professionals more readily at the table? Because this 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 uh, trend has been going on or in progress for years. Right. No, I don't. And that's why and and um, you know, I, I is there's some that stand out and I can think of some of the, my clients in particular that I think really have a, a, a good deal of respect for HR and understand the function and why it's important. But no, I don't. And I see it as this struggle and it's like HR pounding at that boardroom door, right? That C-suite door, let us in, let us in. That's what I keep seeing. And interestingly enough, I find oftentimes I'm on the other side of that door, not because of my HR um, experience or my HR background now, I'm on the other side of that door because of my employment um, lawyer experience, my executive experience, right? It yeah. is, it's, it's, and it's through that that I learned the business. So we know as lawyers, right? We represent, we become immersed in the business. Um, especially, well, if you were, even if you work at a law firm, right? You become immersed in your client's business. You have to know the business. You have to. And that's it. And it, it's what we do. And so with HR, I think it's really challenging to become so immersed in the business realities. And I actually think it takes, a, you're flexing a different muscle. 
You're flexing a much different muscle when you're thinking about the business realities and the five year, you know, five, 10 year, uh, you know, business strategy, the, the notion of acquisitions and why you're acquiring, what businesses are you acquiring when you're thinking about, yeah, mergers and acquisitions, when you're thinking about trends for that business and where that business, uh, that industry is headed. That, that, I mean, there's a reason why there are people who are, have MBAs, right? There's people who are business-minded because that's what it takes. And it's just a very different muscle. Um, it's not something that you learn on the job. I, I, it's just, it, it, it's, it's not. Um, it comes with your, your discipline, right? Your, your, I don't mean discipline in that, how disciplined you are as an individual, but your, your functional expertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, no, and in fact, they, if you're an attorney, they hold you in high regard. I mean, they they listen to you. They may be willing to hear what you have to say. They may not agree with you and they may not take your advice, but they will be willing to listen to, listen to you. Yes. It's a matter of respect for the profession Mm -hmm. and the, what it took to reach that point. Because it comes with, if they don't know you, if you don't have a relationship with that person, they don't know you. It's what you do. Yep. Yes. How, how what you had to what you had to go through to do it, to get it, to acquire the designation. They'll give you the benefit of, of listening to you. Right. So where I go with that then is I say when when you're asked the question about um, kind of whether HR has really gotten to that place where they're at the and they've entered that door, the door has been open to them. I look at how many leaders of organizations, COOs, CEOs have an HR background. None. How many of them are lawyers, former general counsels, right? Former, you think about that. Think about how they have a law degree. I'm not saying that they practice law, but how many of them have had a law degree, right? So you see that because of, it's our training. It's, it's, it comes from, um, from education, right? So the way that we're trained as as lawyers, and then the way we practice law. So it is a natural progression. And so when then I think about when someone says, if I'm interested in HR, what kind of career path am I looking at? What should I be doing? I'm actually discouraging that more traditional, do I get my BA? Do I get my uh, master's in HR administration? I think all of those those are great career paths for those individuals who are going to take a very traditional HR approach, but then going and looking at what the trends are for HR. If HR wants to be considered um, a, a, as, as part of that business strategy and, and, and have a seat around the table, then you have to have a business background. And I actually think that there are individuals with a business background that certainly understand and can be, I don't want to say trained, can be, can broaden their knowledge base beyond business to, to think about the realities and the functional expertise in the HR world. That may, for me, when I think about where that trend is going, that I actually see as something that is more doable, uh, more accessible. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of what a career path in HR could look like, then having someone that has a traditional HR background becoming a business 
expert. I just, to me, I, I it, it's just, it's a very challenging, a challenging career path um, for those individuals that are in traditional HR. I think it depends on whether what their goals are. If they want to be taken, if they want to become in, immersed in the business and move up throughout the company, uh, even in, in, in to, to if they aspire to be a senior VP of HR, these days they're going to need they're going to need to have business experience. They're just going to want their senior HR person to have that so that they know the company knows the company leadership knows that the leader of HR knows what it is they do, how they do it, and can make sound business decisions with respect to uh, the HR function. But if you just want to be go into HR because you like people and you like interacting with people and you like HR doing HR things, then that is still a path forward, at least for the time being. I don't know how long that will last. I Yes, I, yes there are roles like that now. In terms of trends, I would uh, lean back into some of the uh, areas that we touched upon in our uh, discussion earlier around having multiple uh, streams, multiple um, uh, tracks, career tracks. Because if 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 you are in HR now. And you're in HR because you enjoy working with people. Um, you enjoy that aspect of it. I think those roles are going to become fewer and fewer. And depending where you are in your career, if you're you're closer to retirement, then maybe not as um, um, big of an issue. If you're just starting out your career in HR, this would be I would say for your listeners, this this would be for you uh, to think about. If those roles start to get fewer and fewer between and look up and look where you want to be, do you want to advance within the HR field? Maybe maybe you want to look elsewhere outside of HR, but if you want to stay within that HR career path, one area we'll think about is specialist, right? So specialty areas within HR um, are not going to go away. So um, organizational development, learning. Talent management. I'm sorry? Talent management. Talent management, I would say that is going to shift somewhat in the sense that those individuals are going to become much more strategic. So I don't know necessarily if they need to be business people, although what I will say is that sometimes business people are great uh, resources for talent sourcing, talent management, recruitment, because they know their business. They know people in the business. They know people in the industry, right? So I think that that is another area where business people may actually, if you're if you're interested in H, I would encourage people on the business side to look at um, HR. If you're if you're on that career um, uh, traditional career path as an HR, um, let's say HR generalist, do everything that you can to learn what you can about the industry that you are in right now and the industry that you want to be in, if that is going to be, if that is anything different than where you are right now, know your industry, know it as a business person, not just as HR, consume, consume everything about that business, understand 
not just the roles that people play within that business, but what does that business mean? And what are the competitors? What do the competitors look like? What is that business going to be five years from now? What drives it, right? What, 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 um, who are the consumers? All of those questions that a business person would be asking, you need to ask um, as um, an, a, an HR, especially if you're in the HR generalist world. And I'm not saying that they don't. I would say that they need to immerse themselves as much as possible um, into that business, into the business realities. Yeah. I, you know, when I think of the areas within the HR function, talent management, Recruitment, they usually farm that out, don't they? Like with headhunters? Yes, but the, um, yes, and, and that is, that's what they've done traditionally. I think that part of the challenge has been that, um, and you'll hear this, so I'm hearing it from the leaders, right? So I hear this from my, my clients who are the executives who are, reaching out to these recruiters or these headhunters is the challenge I'm getting candidates uh, that fit um, the criteria that they need, candidates that have the experience, candidates that um, getting a, um, a number of candidates, right? So the pool seems to be small and the turnaround time seems to take so long. Um, and this is where you end up having artificial intelligence, um, certainly addressing some of those issues, but if you speak to leaders, a lot is happening on the tech side, data um, analytics, where you would hear them say, when they think about HR, their biggest challenge, they would say, is talent sourcing. Number one, they're not getting the candidates that they want, the caliber of candidates that they need within the speed that they need them. Well, that typically happens in when there's a, um, a soft uh, job market. When the job market's tighter, that really be- that well it becomes a problem then too. Well, because well, the-, the talent isn't there, or the trained talent isn't there, the quality of the talent isn't there. What's the problem? It can it it varies. Um, sometimes it could be that they're getting volume, but they're not getting the right um, the right credit the right background. So they might on paper have the right credentials, but then they start they meet the people and they're not the right. Um, it's not, it's not meeting all of the needs it is, or you could have where they're not getting all the credentials. They don't have the right experience. And I will hear leaders say that if they had the time, they could think of 20 places to look or 20 individuals that they should be, um, um, looking at that it, it, and this is where I do think you have this disconnect sometimes where recruiters are about giving them bodies and not necessarily understanding the industry. So um, if they were to say, I need an employment lawyer that I'm, I'm a leader at NASCAR and I need an employment lawyer, right? A recruiter will give them employment lawyers that have worked in, I don't know, let's say media entertainment, major league baseball, NFL, right? So on paper, it looks right. But what is that employment? Do? What are the needs at NASCAR? Where is NASCAR going? Like, do you understand the business beyond just what's on that surface in terms of that resume to hit those data points and check the box? Media, entertainment, sports background, employment lawyer, practicing five years, met the credential. And that gets before the leader where the leader will say once they start to drill down that they don't have the either the direct experience, the substance that they're looking for. It's just not the right fit. That's why it's it's so very important that individuals, students 
who are in college, anyone who's looking for a job, they have to become familiar with the industry and what's going on in the industry that they're interested in, in working in. Because it changes from from year to year and even month to month, depending on what's going on generally. I mean, in, in COVID, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to, to, to be working for a company that a brick and mortar company that had hundreds of employees working in a building and now they're working remotely. You know, but if you don't keep up with what's going on in your industry, you're not going to be on top of the situation and you're going to be let, you're going to be one of those people who, when they're referred to a, a potential employer, the feedback is, well, they had it on paper, but when I talked to them, they didn't know what was going on. You've got to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk and know what you're talking about so you can do it convincingly. Well, and so, for instance, the example that I gave with NASCAR. So let's say that employment lawyer learned everything that they could, the candidate, uh, about NASCAR and the business and what NASCAR was about, the industry. And they came and they interviewed, not realizing that NASCAR's trend, they, that let's say within the next five years, they're relocating out of whatever their base is. And I'm going to throw a location. They're moving from wherever their home base is to another state. They are downsizing and they're looking for maybe uh, outsourcing certain uh, functions um, internationally. And this person that's coming in, let's say they work for Major League Baseball. When was the last time Major League Baseball had a downsizing, right? When was the last time Major League Baseball changed? So just because on paper it looks like sports, employment, where is this business going where you might actually have better luck at hiring an employment lawyer that worked in retail? Maybe Macy's, right? You think about restructuring, <laughs> moving locations, um, uh, moving, doing um, uh, work in emerging markets overseas. They may not have that sports, uh, direct sports experience, but they have all of that if you drill down um, and they understood that they'd have that relevant experience. And so that's where both the individual interviewing, the individual in the business, and the recruiter needs to understand all of those nuances of a business to see. Um, uh, understand whether they're they're meeting the needs. They they know they're the right fit. They know what pitch to give, right? Or they know what experience to go out there and acquire. I don't know that the sense I get is that people feel that once they graduate from college, they get their degree and they network. Let's say they network what they consider robustly. They should have a job. And it should be the job in the field that they aspire to. And, you know, it should be the job they want, uh, the job that they feel that they've trained for. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen as frequently as people might think, as those students might think. I don't think anyone who's been paying attention to the economic indicators and the employment numbers believes that it's going to be as simple as that. It's going to take work. It's going to take, especially in, in this virtual reality that we live in, it's going to take creative networking. It's not going to be live in-person networking. It's going to need to be virtual, but you're going to have to make the contacts and connect with people so that they can engage in virtual networking. But it's going to be 
it's going to be a challenge. And I will say this, I have met a number of recent college grads who are either kept there, uh, so they were, they were working during college, um, and their job they had was part-time nanny. They kept that on full-time. Their part-time job was working at Target. Kept, they've stayed there and done that full-time, and they're living at home. Um, and part of that is the, re- the reality that you are competing in a business market now with individuals that literally can hit the ground running doing the, the jobs that employers need in a virtual way where it's not about culture or fit and how does someone interact with each other. If I'm trying to create this young kind of hip, I don't mean young in age-wise, culture-wise, mm-hmm. um, hip environment. It's all remote, right? So I just need, as an employer, somebody that can do this work. I can't, the the ability to train, onboarding someone and training somebody is all happening in this uh, virtual remote way. And I need somebody that can actually just sit down and start doing tangible work with very, um, with a lot of autonomy, right? And the, um, the, the challenging part for recent college graduates is they just don't have the experience. They don't. Um, and so I've seen these recent college grads hang on to these jobs, which is not a bad thing, uh, where, no, they didn't graduate from college to work at Target. Um, they didn't uh, graduate from college to continue to be the nanny. Um, but it's giving them experience, continue to build on their resume, allowing them to network, keeping some income for, for them as um, they then broaden. This is, where I, this is where you and I spoke about use the time. Use the time yeah. to look at what industry you want to be in, right? Not just, and then what functions within that industry. I know what your degree may be about, but that's just one data point. You need to now start adding to that. Um, and yeah. many people will say, well, I graduated from college. What do you mean add? Like that, that's what I did. Like, yeah, no, that's, 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 it's, it's, and I even think about this for, um, let's say those law students, recent law grads, right? It, their experience is going to be vastly different. They're going to be in a similar position because what experience do they have? Now, those that worked at law firms um, that are not downsizing um, and that uh, while they were in law school and that they are able then to, and they, they took a job with that law firm, they may have a job, but they're law firms that started laying people off. They don't have the work. Right. Right. And so why would a law firm, if, if I'm laying people off, if, I, if I'm, if, you know, partners at a law firm, if I'm laying people off and laying lawyers off and I can start to bring some people back, I'm not going to bring back a recent, uh, someone who just graduated from law school because they're going to be sitting at home working from a computer, doing your research, doing all of that stuff. I'm going to go back and hire the experienced lawyer that I don't need to supervise. I don't need to edit their work. That's right. I'm hopeful. I think that if people approach it with the right frame of mind, and manage their expectations and realize that it's going to take more time yes. than they than it used to, let's say, that they'll be fine. They just have to remain focused and stay on task. Don't give up. Don't become frustrated. Take a break so that you don't wear yourself out. But if you put in the work, if you if you have the 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 requisite skill sets and you can present yourself in a professional way and communicate that you're 
what you bring to the table in a persuasive, believable way, and you come across as authentic. And after you get your job, after you get your job, you show up on time. You remember our issue when we work together, you show up on time and show up and stay off the phone. You'll be fine. You remember what I'm talking about, Michelle. Well, absolutely. No, I, that's, I, that's absolutely the case. And this is where I wouldn't want to leave a listener with like, oh, wait a second, but I just graduated from college. I don't have any experience. So what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm always going to be living in my parents' house that I don't? And there's no always, um, you know, try try to stay away from always, never, I don't have, right? The, and, and look at this as opportunities. This is there for people I'll say this for people who have a great deal of experience, um, have been laid off and think about, wait a second, am I taking a step back? I'll say the way I would look at it is no, this is an opportunity. This is a, a moment in time and who no one knows what next month will bring, what, you know, much less what, what's going to happen in 2021. This is a, a moment in time, seize the moment in time by taking opportunities that present themselves to you, go out there, seek new opportunities that are, that are, even if they're vastly different than what you've done, even if you have all this experience in one area, this is an opportunity to amass new skills, right? To, to, to learn new skills. And, exactly. for, and for those individuals who just are recent graduates who think, well, what are my skills? I actually say you have a clean slate. Your skills can be anything that you want it to be. This is an opportunity now where you, that, that initiative will become a trait that you can sell, right? To an employer, do your research on trends. Where is it that you want to be? If you forget about what your degree is right now, right? Even if your degree isn't something that you are passionate about, I've said, you know what? Let's just forget about the degree for a second. Think about what are you most passionate about? What is it out there that has always interested you? Whether it's music, whether it's film, whether it's um, travel, whatever it may be, do research on that, right? Do something because what that does is it's going to keep your motivation up and keep your energy level, your engagement, because you're, you're, you're doing research in something that you're passionate about. So think about that. Then you start thinking about what, what are the job opportunities in that industry? That's one path you can take. Other path you can take is if you do have this college degree, think, go right now, Google, what are the trends in, let's say it's education, education trends, uh, job trends, 2021 right? You're doing your research on your degree to find out where, and you're looking at what is, what other skills do I need to have under my belt or acquire to fit within these trends, right? Um, that's another path. So I would look at this as these multiple paths. And I would say then your third path, if you're a recent graduate is you need income now, right? So what is it that, um, what are entry level jobs that are available now? Do your Google, do your search, entry level jobs, 2020. Recent college grad, 2020 drops. And, and that's where you can focus on, if I need to get money now, I need to start paying my bills now, what is it that you can do to start actually uh, motivating you in that respect so that you're at least, you have some income coming in, but not giving up those other paths in terms of your research um, where you can look towards your future. You know, Michelle, before we end, I want people to be hopeful. But for people who are looking for a job, and I know that you're going to feel, you may feel that there's no hope and that you, you've been unsuccessful finding jobs, although you've sent in resumes, you may have had some telephone interviews. 
focus on what you can do for a prospective employer. Don't focus on what you need. Focus on what you can do for an employer. And then come up with a talk track so that you can convey that persuasively and emphatically. It's not about, you want to create a win-win. You want a job so that you can develop. You want to work for a company where there's a future. But what you bring to the table is that you will always, always be the first one in, the last one out, if that's true. Or you'll work hard to get the job done, whatever that job is. You'll pay attention to detail. You will move heaven and earth to get whatever your supervisor needs done. You will move heaven and earth to get it done, if you will. Don't make any commitments that you're not willing to honor, but think about what you're willing to do and practice conveying it persuasively because everybody's not going to think about that. They're going to think about what they need. You think about what the employer needs. And then after you, after you convey that, talk about how you want to be an employee with a company that where you have a future. So you're in for the long haul. Michelle, do you have anything else? I couldn't have said it better myself. No, that's, I think it's a great way to end. Um, optimism, um, hope, um, and um, yeah, and focusing on, I, I would say focus on yourself and your, your goals realizing that your goals can match the goals of your prospective and future employer. Um, be true, authentic, uh, because any uh, employers will see through that as well. Um, but this is a time where I know that it's hard. Um, it's challenging. If there's any, we are all in the same position in the sense that we're all living in this pandemic. I think that uh, those of us that look at the glass as half full um, and see it as opportunities are the ones that are going to be able to make something positive um, of these challenging times. Well, Michelle, I so appreciate you taking time to do this. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.